This is how we make it more affordable. And also it, it simultaneously doesn't cut out our legs from underneath us either. Hi, I'm Russ. And I'm Danny. And this is the Memory Makers Podcast. The show focused on helping you create amazing customer experiences and make more memories. It's the Memory Makers Podcast. We're just dusting off a classic one. That one's been used before, full disclaimer, but it's probably the cleanest. But yeah, I was going to say, it's it's subtle and it's to the point <laughs> and it works, you know? Everyone can doing... imagine that kind of like typical sitcom kind of jingle. It's just like, boom, right there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's not uh, the Marvel, you know, rendition that was a, a massive flop <laughs> from our previous episode. For those so who have we, not listened to the previous episode, you should go listen to that. It was episode number 32. Yes, indeed. Um, brother, how are you? I am good. And I think you're doing good, too, because I know you've been working on something new in your life recently. Well, you know, we're uh, we're getting a little fitter, getting a little better every day. Um, so I feel like, a, a, you know, that old joke of how do you know when you meet somebody that does CrossFit, they tell you about it first thing. I've I've had some experiences of late with this. I'm doing this program um, called 75 Hard, and I actually got switched on to this originally by Jeremy Hoyam who used to be involved with Jake's Unlimited out in Arizona um, and but and now works at Urban Air and others. But it is 75 days. You are doing two workouts a day. Each have to be 45 minutes and one has to be outdoors. You have to do 10 pages of nonfiction reading. You have to drink a gallon of water. You have to do a um, some sort of diet, you know, some sort of, of kind of you know, healthier eating and, and regimented that you can, you know, follow along and, and make sure that you're not doing anything outside of bounds. And then lastly, it's no cheat meals and no alcohol for that whole 75 days as well. So I have been enjoying it. Now, don't get me wrong. There are some days where I've not managed my time nearly as well. And I've done some, you know, walks at 11 o'clock at night out in the driveway to make sure I get that outdoor workout in. But I will tell you the whole purpose of that, that this piece, and we actually have, you know, Armando, our owner is doing it. Mark, who's our VP of operations is doing it as well. Um, a couple of the other guys here are doing it. One, having this program where it's much more about doing what you commit yourself to doing. Um, that happens to have the side benefits of hey, increased physical activity, better eating, no alcohol, like all of that stuff from the physical side, but the mental benefits of one doing hard things that you set an ambitious goal for consistently over time. That to me has been the biggest game changer that I've enjoyed the most out of it. So and really been enjoying it and, um, and, and having a good time with it. And, you know, I'll tell you the travel travel days, cause I was out and about last week and we'll get into some of that. Cause I was meeting with a ton of different operators, um, throughout the course of last week and, and have some wonderful insights from them, but man, doing the 75 hard while you're, you know, walking around in the airport terminal or doing yoga, you, you look real weird. So, <laughs> you know, one of the things that you mentioned there was, uh, intentionally doing hard things and allows you to, to, to be more disciplined and get after it. We could probably make an entire podcast episode about that one topic. So let's just go ahead Mike, let's put that on the docket for the future because i like it yeah when i build my cold tank i'll make sure we we dive into that bad boy because that's that's next on the list so i'm just going i see what you did there come on come on (laughs) all right well let's jump in so last week i had this incredible opportunity to meet with 
oh my gosh, between the three days, I probably met with about 50 different locations operators. And normally in those situations, you know, we we're always kind of having conversations. Hey, what are you struggling with? What, what are the biggest challenges? What are the best things that are working for you? And there were a couple of things as I was having more of these conversations across the three days that really struck me that I felt like could serve uh, a lot more of the folks that listen to this podcast and are just trying to keep their finger on the pulse of, of what they're trying to, to do. So there's the first thing that, that I noticed, uh, the majority of folks um, specifically that are looking at adding um, attractions or locations and things like that, it was okay, you know, if we have an existing location and we're going to be creating a second location or we're going to be expanding the existing location and adding more attractions, how are we using these secondary attractions as well as our marketing efforts to really speak to the local markets? And so one operator, for example, they have three existing locations. They've just added a fourth or in the process of adding a fifth and a sixth they really felt and have a very well-established brand of what this business is and how they do it. They've repeated it and had great success in these first three locations. And they noticed as they had this fourth location installed that they were actually needing, you know, their model and what they have and what they've done so well, they were needing to massage it a little bit because this fourth location was a little bit further away. It posed some different challenges and the market, they realized there was a really great opportunity um, for getting some of the suburbs and the other areas around them when they originally thought that they were going to be pulling in from the, the, you know, proper city limits and all of this stuff. And it was interesting to me because, you know, we've talked about in the past of you have to know who you are and you have to stay true to that identity. And I think that that still very much applies. But there was a really growing piece of not only, okay, do we need to not necessarily shift, you know, what demographics we're we're going for with our primary, but within some of these pieces, how do we have some more controlled experiments with these things that we maybe haven't done before in the other locations that we can, you know, get a sense of, okay, based on where this market is and where the actual money is now that we've been open, not being afraid to pivot and make some of those changes to it to and being comfortable with change um, as, a, as a part of that. And so it was really interesting to hear that a number of times um, over the course of last week as I was talking with a number of these folks that have very well-established brands that are in a growth mode. And I felt like it was a, a really interesting piece because you do need to have a good fundamental understanding of who you are and how you go about doing it from your culture and your team building and all of that. But that is always evolving and we're growing and adding new things to it. So that that to me was something that I really enjoyed. The other thing that was interesting was not necessarily even change some folks that weren't necessarily changing a new um, attraction or doing something under the roof that they hadn't done elsewhere was looking at how they're doing their pricing models based on the markets. And so um, another another operator that has uh, six or seven locations and is in the process of adding a, a few more, they've always done the hey, we have a la carte pricing, right? And we don't have unlimited free play wristbands and we don't do that. But shifting these models and with some of these new locations to try out, hey, what does it look like if Tuesday through Thursday we start to do more of the all access pass and then still keep our, during our higher traffic peak periods, what our a la carte 
spending is or, you know, playing with the revenue models or in those structures because they're in markets that have folks that are more inclined to go there on the weekdays than maybe their other locations were and things like that. So not just what we have under the the roof, but how we or not what we have under the hood, but how we're driving the car at times was really interesting to, to see these very successful business entities be open to exploring and, and saying, okay, here, we've got a pretty good idea of what we want to do and how we want to go about it, but we still want to leave room for experimentation with it, which was really, really great. And so if you guys are, you know, existing operators or your new startups, one thing that I would take away from this is, is again, this being adaptable aspect of, you know, not necessarily falling so passionately in love with this one thing that it keeps you from being able to realize better opportunities or have a more relevant product or experience for your guests as they're coming through the doors. And sometimes, you know, we, it's, it's not a compromise, but it's, it's again, playing algebra instead of arithmetic, right? Where it's, okay, let's, let's change some variables. Let's see what the different impacts can have because it can open up, you know, more group sales in ways that you didn't think that you would be able to get or day, you know, um, not daycare, but you know, vacation, um, kind of camps and things like that. New, new elements that all came from this opportunity of, Hey, if we start doing some of these free pass or unlimited play passes and things during certain times of the day, it's now opened up huge opportunities for them to get more summer programs and other times during other slow periods that they just haven't had much success or, or opportunities to explore with before. And now these are serving as huge revenue opportunities that they looking back saying, if we hadn't made these changes or, or had been willing to test with it, we would have been missing out on hundreds of thousands of dollars of revenue. So recognizing that sacred cows are not always sacred cows. And that we need to be able to tinker and experiment with some of that. So it was nice to see, no matter who who folks are in the industry landscape, that there's always going to be some continual, never-ending improvement that goes along with that stuff. Um, and a third thing that that kind of came along with this willing to experiment piece was there was some additional operators um, that have looked at coming up with sister concepts, right? Where hey, we we had this, you know, we have our main FEC and all of that, but we actually opened up a dedicated escape room that's actually two doors down from where our main piece is, right? So, hey, we've been landlocked, we've been waiting forever, we've been trying to do this whole thing, and we just can't get the landlord to get us th- that spot that we want or that tenant's locked in for way too long, that now they're saying, okay, we, uh, we're going to treat it like a second location, even though it's it's there, but then we can do cross-promoting and take advantage of the fact that it's relatively close. And so that was a way that they that these operators are, are saying like, okay, this is an obstacle, but it doesn't keep us from being able to you know, have some version of what that bigger picture is that we want to envision. And so they've even found, okay, as by adding more of these things that are you know, tied, it's under our roof or our portfolio of properties now. When we do go to open up our our kind of second true location that would have all of those things in, we already have a better opportunity to understand how those things are going to be able to bundle and play nicely with each other as well. So that to me was the the kind of third big piece under the flexibility umbrella that I came away with from last week. And, um, and Danny, you and I were talking about this as well, where, you know, there's, there's other areas that, that these operators have been diving into on the books of what is, what is the financial health of companies look like and how do we be better at, at getting a, a, you know, more revenue and lower overhead costs. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's it's something that we're seeing that's really interesting because there are operators looking at how to lower costs and raise revenue, but doing it through the front lines. Because typically when we think about, well, how do we reduce costs and how do we make more money? So often we think about that at the ownership and management level and how do we make the decisions way up here and then be able to Im implement those into the business. But realizing that so many of our interactions with customers happen on the frontline staff level. And so there's a couple things that um, these these operators are doing. Number one is they're sharing a lot more of the financial health of the business with frontline employees and having more transparency in areas that are doing really well, areas that might be struggling a little bit more and why so that all the employees have a little bit more context rather than just saying, we want to be able to grow corporate sales by 10%. Mm -hmm. okay, but what does that mean? How does that mm -hmm. fit in the bigger picture of this business? And how do I as an individual contribute to that? Um, and so they're sharing the financial health as well as the overall objectives with frontline staff. Mm. Um, they're also em empowering that staff to better understand how to find ways to reduce those costs. Because we could just say to people, hey, we're just we're looking for ways in order to be more efficient with our processes and save money. Okay, well, that feels very big and vague sometimes, but if we can kind of take that down on the micro level and talk to frontline employees based upon the area of the business where they work and saying, hey, what part of this when you do your job makes no sense? What part mm -hmm. of this feels like a waste of time to you? How can we improve that? Then they can start looking for and giving, empowering them to find these ways of, oh, well, I could actually just do these three things in, in this order instead of having to do seven things in this order and it cuts down the amount of time that it takes or hey we're using this particular um uh, software but we actually don't need to we can remove that because i found a better way to do this right mm -hmm. there's different ways to empower your team to find find the methods in order to reduce those costs and make yourselves more efficient and effective because it's not just efficiency, but it's also efficiency with the right things, which in mm. my mind is what makes effectiveness. Because we can be really efficient at the wrong type of activity that doesn't actually improve the business in any way. Mm -hmm. But if we can be really efficient in the right activities, that's where effectiveness comes into play. Hey, while um, you're on that topic, so one thing that and as I was meeting with some different cats last week, one of the big things that they were talking about was incentivizing these kinds of things. So again, you can speak to the, hey, this is what we want to do. But to your point, that can feel super vague. And it's like, okay, great. What does that actually mean for me? Like, I, you know, like not clocking in five minutes early, like and I'm doing my part or are you actively coming up with either a gamified or recognition and reward system, you know, for these findings. So it's not just lining, hey, the owners are just trying to save money so that way they can line their pockets with it more or whatever. Getting them to really understand, hey, we want to lower overhead by, um, you know, $200,000 next year. Um, and here's why we want to be able to do that, because that $200,000 is going to allow us to either, you know, grow, expand, give raises, what have you, like some big picture things for the business as well as them tangibly, but also giving a share of those those cost savings and rewards, which I really, really loved. Um, you know, we had certain things like that in place when we were at Laser Flash together that, mm -hmm. hey, year over year, we'd look at, okay, this week compared to, you know, this week last year, we did X amount or this month or this quarter, we did X amount. If, you know, this year we exceed that by at least 10%, 
a fifth of that is going to go back to the employees that were working during that time. Or this one person found one system that was very impactful that ended up saving us a ton of money. And so we're going to have some sort of reward piece mm-hmm. because it, it's natural human behaviors. It's, it's an easy piece to lean into and create a higher buy-in. Not only because it's, you know, there's something there, but you're showing them that it's, I'm doing this for the good of all of us. Like, I want this to be something that we continue to grow and have a future for instead of leaving it transactional. You know, one of the things there, too, about reducing costs, very often when we talk about reducing costs, the first people that both management and employees think about is getting rid of jobs of Mm. reducing labor. And for our perspective in this, it's not about reducing labor. Because if you can find an efficiency of a frictionless software that helps uh, someone perform their job or they don't have to focus on this anymore, it allows them to take that labor and that time instead of eliminating it. Now you can take that and put it in a place where it makes a much greater impact. Because at the end of the day, this is a human and person industry. These experiences, these memories are not going to be happening from robots. We are still... Uh, hospitality, we're service, we're memories, we're experience, and humans drive so much of that. Mm-hmm. I think it's super important, and that's one of the things that the operators were talking about that you spoke to last week. This is not about how do I reduce my employees or or be able to do the same amount with fewer people. It's how do I take my existing staff and put them in places where they're going to make a better impact on my customers and on the bottom line. You know, one um, group that I spoke with last week was talking about you know, for us, it was bringing some automation into the back of house areas. So that way we could have more staff able to run more sessions of games like laser tag or be able to get more people through the mini golf course because their goal was we actually want to lower our prices, but increase the quantity that we're able to do those at. So that way they can make things more affordable for their market and they can have those opportunities to engage with their guests in ways that they just hadn't had the bandwidth to do. And so that, that shift of, of automating or getting better efficiencies in place here so I can take our most precious resource, which is that staff member and their ability to affect positive change and have cost savings, but actually seeing their per cap spending and things like that go up because people want to continue to do more and more. So a lot of times these are not mutually exclusive pieces that's that can get, you know, again, very easily lost in the mix when your staff is on, is going through this and you're trying to get them on board with it. That was the biggest thing for them was we wanted to show this is why, right? Like this is true to who we are. This is how we have a better impact. This is how we make it more affordable. And also it, it simultaneously does doesn't cut out our legs from underneath us either. So the the last thing that I wanted to share with, and this was, it seems a little obvious at, at first blush, but it was something that as so many of these different operators are actively ongoing their expansion efforts and bringing new things in, COVID really left a lot of, okay, we can do it on a video call kind of mentalities for things. And we think that that's an effective or efficient way of going about it. The one thing that came to me clearer than any other piece was it's still not the same as getting your GC, your architect, your utilities experts, and your vendors all in the same room at the same time. So that way they have a shared understanding of what the vision is for the experience. And and Nick was just at a site visit with an operator a week ago as well that was doing this very same, same thing, that by having 
your architect and your GC talking through, you know, certain pieces that may have nothing to do with your vendor for on the attraction side until it does. And and a lot of times if we're looking at a plan set or a PDF of, of what this is and how this goes, by having everybody in the same room and actually looking in the back at the pin setters and eyeing what the electrical looks like back there and how we're going to be able to utilize that together and what's needed for all of that, the efficiencies, like while there's time and effort that it takes to get all those people in the same room at the same time, the things that get have been caught um, by this and, and what that represents as far as cost savings for minimizing eventual surprise change orders on the construction side or having less pushback from the permitting office when you're putting those things in there, we still need to remember that when we have the opportunity to do so, having the people together at the same time in order to make sure that they're looking at what these ripple effects are in real time as you're talking through because they're all experts in this one individual area but by having a shared communication and all looking at the same thing at the same time in in having it just changes the dynamic and that was my last stop last week was being in a room with the GC with an architect myself and saying okay well we can't do this because you know you can't do that with the ceiling anymore because you're not grandfather claused in okay okay GC comes back with okay well here's option two that I would recommend option three I would recommend I'm popping up and saying "Ooh, you don't want to actually do that because that's going to create this bottleneck with your guest flow and you're actually going to have to add in a lot more ADA ramping in order to be able to do that what if we did this and so the collaborative sharing of the minds where everybody can really lean into their expertise in a more collaborative way that one visit probably saved the client about $150,000 to $250,000 worth of shenanigans down the line, which was really impactful to see. And we see so many more people looking at this of, okay, well, we'll hop on a call. We'll have this person. We'll have that person. It one beyond just that aspect. I feel like it also humanizes and personalizes the experience where now all of those people are much more cohesive team doing stuff together, which is not our bag at all. <laughs> right. It's not the, oh, that contractor that I've never met is just that person over there. Why would they have done this? Well, or there's that Hank with his shouty capitals in his email again. Golly gee. Like, you know, where it's like, oh, no, Sh- you know, Hank is, is not using shouty capitals. He's doing enthusiastic backflips. Right. But you're seeing that on their face and in their voice and all of that good stuff. So the other thing by having people, you know, in the room where it happens, so to speak, Hamilton, is that it can shout also, out. Was that? I said Hamilton, shout out. <laughs> right. It can also prevent massive miscommunications between different vendors and the, the client, right? Big time. If you've got, um, instead of everyone in the room, just individual phone calls and meetings happen happening, you might have the client and the architect and one of the vendors on a call and make a decision that has an impact on other vendors in different parts of that venue, mm-hmm. but the information doesn't get communicated to them clearly. And then later on, either before it's like when it's too late or by the time they get on site, they then find out about that change, but it impacts the way that their attraction or their piece has to be delivered and installed. And it creates a lot more headaches. And so by having people in the same room, it prevents those miscommunications because part of the problem about communication is when we think it's happened, but it hasn't. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's one of the biggest problems with the communication. Well, and and it allows your internal team. So if if you're taking on an expansion or a new location or any of that stuff, you still have this regular 
job that is running that facility and making sure that those things are going. But now you're also having to quarterback all of these different pieces. So by having more shared mutual understanding between those folks, it's not pulling you into the weeds as far, right? Because they're able to have better relationships. They're able to communicate better. They're able to operate off of the same page more efficiently. But the other thing is, is so let's say it's it's a group of people on your team that are overseeing that aspect. That's still precious bandwidth that is getting pulled away from something, right? Attention is a zero-sum game. You only you, you can only be present in so many places at one time, and that's usually one place at a time, and, and hopefully where your feet are. But if you are able to make sure that, that, that your team, similar to how if you're delegating to your team that's overseeing you know, group sales or anything else, the better that they're able to cohesively function together and you're able to keep a good eye at, you know, working on that process instead of in that process and being the medium of saying, well, this person's telling me this and this person's telling me that and then trying to figure it out for yourself. The time, effort and energy that gets wasted in that front is is massive. Um, the other thing that that was really coming across where uh, trying to get people away from herding cats, so to speak, and chase or pushing a rope up a hill kind of friction mentalities that come with that is if you do have bigger long term goals and plans for multiple locations or or, you know, a variety of different expansions is once you've had that that point leader or team leader or point person for that project thinking about having them take that role on again and doing more of it because they will have experience and knowledge and things that kind of come along with it. Um, because a lot of these groups that are, are looking to add multiple locations and things, they're taking somebody who understands their business and they're now carving out a new role for them that says you are now in charge of construction for these next two or three projects that go along with it because they can be more intentionally focused on that one specific area instead of trying to have them do too much at once, you know, that goes along with it. So the prioritization and executing as well as making sure that you're not just adding one more thing onto the backs of everybody trying to do it. And we're just going to muscle our way through. It's having intentional focus of how do we actually get there? Not only this time, but the next time and the next time after that. So a good example of that is Costco. Every yes. location they open is the exact same construction company every time. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So utilizing those folks because you you have those just little efficiencies that the compounding effect that comes from that stuff is so incredible, right? And you look at folks like large franchises like Urban Airs or others, like they're trying to use the same architect as many times as they can because there's a shared understanding. They've been through this dance before. They've seen how this code has been interpreted in the past and they know how they can preemptively approach that or engineer it out of the equation, whatever the case may be. So it's, it's you know, just because you've done it before doesn't mean that you need to reinvent the wheel every single time. You know, work smarter, not harder when it comes to that. So... Well, with that, I think we've reached a, a good place to wrap up some of these great takeaways. Hopefully this has um, been fruitful and serving to those of you who are listening or watching and appreciate you guys so much for joining us. We have a ton of more awesome con- a ton more awesome content coming your guys' way as we continue to add um, through our weekly episodes. So be sure to come back again to hear more of what we've got coming down the pipe. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. As well as those five stars, please and thank you. If you've got ideas for future episodes, guests, or topics, follow us on social media and send us a DM. And as always, big shout out to Mikey Mike on the ones and twos for working that ultranet for us. And thank you for joining us. And we will catch you on the next one, Troublemakers. Uh...
Um, I have no idea. Let's do this thing. Bingo, bingo. Bingo, bango, bongo. Go for it. All right. Cool. Mike, I'm ready. Russ, I think you're ready. Yes.